for us it was just 100 conversations to determine the right profile of investor and then 100 more conversations to secure it. Oh, mate, I think 400 conversations. So, Toby, I think we might have doubled down on yeah. yours. Yeah, I might have been conservative. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the one thing you definitely realise is how much time it takes to share your vision and your product and then to find the right match. Ready to raise capital? It's time to get your dose of investment insights with the Investment Fix podcast. Brought to you by New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Kia ora, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Dylan Lawrence, General Manager of Investment at New Zealand Trade and Enterprise. Today on the Investment Fix, we're talking with two New Zealand companies that have raised funds from domestic venture capital for their growth. So with me to talk about why they opted for this form of funding and what that investment process involved, are Yabble COO and co-founder Rachel O'Shea and Parkable co-founder and chief executive Toby Litton. Kia ora and welcome, Rachel, Toby. Kia ora, Thanks for having us. Thinking back to last time you were out there putting your business in front of potential investors, I'd love to just hear your elevator pitch. We do a lot of elevator pitches. So here's my latest one. They seem to change every time you do them, right? <laughs> Yabble is solving the problem of data inequity in the research sector. So right now, consumers are not rewarded for the data that they help co-create. And I think that creates real inequity and it creates shutdown of data, lack of data movement, and that creates really poor insights for brands. It means we get really crappy products, experiences and services being delivered. Yabble's on a journey to change it. We're creating a data marketplace to make that trading and flow of data seamless for both consumers and individuals. Awesome. And how about you, Toby? Oh, I'm just still wrapping my head around Rachel's. I want to sell my data. I'll sign you up straight <laughs> after this. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, Parkable, we are a platform to make parking better, really. And we exist because parking historically sucks. And our mission is to help businesses make parking better for their employees, their visitors, and their paying customers. And we do that with a SaaS platform that we deliver kind of all over the world now, including right here in New Zealand where we started. Fantastic. Let's build on that. Tell us a bit about when we founded, what size are you at now? What markets are you operating in? We incorporated the company in 2015 and went live very late 2015, early 2016 with an All Blacks match for event parking right here at Eden Park, which is pretty close to where our office is now. Fast forward four years, we're now about 45 people on the ground in New Zealand, Australia and Shanghai, China. We operate those three countries plus the UK and just looking at the US now. So not really established in the US yet. Awesome. And how about you, Rachel? Nice progress, Toby. We're a little bit behind uh, the Parkable team. We started a bit later, so 2017 for Yabble. We came off the back of a market research consultancy business, so we had real industry expertise, and we transformed that into the SaaS product that we have today. Right now, we trade in Australia, New Zealand, and just taking on the capital late in 2020 will help us move into the US next year, the largest insights and data market in the world. So we're going for the big guns straight up. We have a team of 12 full-timers, some extra contractors, and turning over a couple of million in revenue already. So we're on the way. We're pretty excited. Fantastic. Nice. Before we move on to talking about your VC investors, can you both just talk a bit about how have you funded your early growth or your, your, your journey to date? We had a market research consultancy, so we've bootstrapped Yabble through to 2020. 
One of the things that we did that I think made our product really successful and really helped us was we ideated what we wanted our platform to be with a couple of our major customers. So leading retail supermarket group, leading media group. And we worked with them on pricing, on product. And that really brought on board early adopters. And that allowed us to build with revenue, which was really important. And at the same time, use our revenue from the consulting business to fund the technology build to the point where we had a really good product that people were prepared to pay for. So that was how we got started. It's been great to work really closely with customers. If I could say anything, try really hard to be close to those customers as early as you can because it's definitely made a big difference to us. And how about you, Toby? Yeah, just echoing Rachel, being close to customers, man. There's a whole podcast in that, but it took us a while to learn that lesson. We thought we were right. Turns out customers <laughs> knew a bit more than us about what we should have been doing. Anyway, so I digress. We started out founder-funded, so there's three founders in Parkable, and we put in as much as we could scrape together, and not ashamed to say that I think it was $10,000, $10,000, and $6,000 or something like that, respectively, that we put into the business to get going. Then we funded it however we could. We followed a very traditional route at the time, friends, family, foolish, <laughs> and then grew up from there and here we are. Yeah, so however we could, including getting our partners to help fund the business, all, all kinds of things. So you get to that point and then for both of you to fund the next stage of your growth, you've turned to venture capital from the domestic market. I'm really interested in the why. How did you determine, one, that this was the type of investment category that you wanted to chase after? And two, how did you ter- determine the right time to seek it? For us, we kind of learned, rightly or wrongly, that once you're on the escalator of investment funding, it's kind of a very swift escalator, and we're constantly buying runway. As our operation scaled, as our growth scaled, as we continued to want to run it in front of the curve, it meant we needed more and more money. And our capital efficiency was pretty strong, so it said, hey, it's a good way to raise money to fund this. We were doing the right thing. And the angel community that have been so supportive to us on our journey, the check size just got a bit big. Keeping in mind when we started, the angel community wasn't quite as mature as it is now with some of the great work that the New Zealand organisations have been doing, early stage angel groups weren't quite there. So we needed to step up and we started reaching around all of the people that we knew. We didn't really know who would be the right fit for us. It turned out in our case that Spark as a corporate venture capital was. So for us, it was just 100 conversations to determine the right profile of investor and then 100 more conversations to secure it. And how about you, Rachel? Oh, mate, I think 400 conversations. So, Toby, I think we might have doubled down on yours. Yeah, I might have been conservative. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, the one thing you definitely realise is how much time it takes to share your vision and your product and then to find the right match. So I'd echo what Toby said, finding the right match of investor for where your business is at at the right stage. We're enterprise SaaS. We have pretty big ticket subscription price and that's quite slow to onboard. So it's a very different uh, consumer driven model. When we first started, we're now shifting our business model and shifting our market focus. So for us, we needed money that had an international outlook. We needed one that really understood data and the insight sector that we're in. We're just a complicated product. I'll be honest, that's one of the hardest things we've found with raising money is we do a lot of things because we're an aggregated product and we talk to both businesses and consumers. So you really have to understand our sector to get us. So we looked for international domain expertise and then we found it in Hillfront's Capital. And once we found Rob Vickery, who heads that up, he came out of the US, he's relocated to New Zealand and he in himself is quite a success story for the New Zealand capital scene, bringing international money in and setting up more funds 
and more early stage VC funds, which I think was a natural gap in New Zealand, actually. Really awesome angel networks, as Toby said. But then you kind of get up and you can get into the big Series A stuff from here in Australia. But there was a kind of that mid-market gap we found where there wasn't perhaps as much capital kicking around mm. uh, in that VC space. So phenomenal to see Movac Fund 5 come in with a slightly different remit. It comes in at a lower level. They're one of our founding investors in Yabble as well. So for us, it was the right fit of an investor who understood our category, someone who had been there and done that internationally and really understood data and could take us into our next round of funding because it's probably going to be offshore. Once you yeah. get into those bigger rounds, you're going to need an international lead. So someone who's done that already is really important to look for. That's a fantastic point, talking about the right fit. Toby, for you, was there anything more than just money that you were looking for from an investor in that round? Yeah, there was. We wanted someone to help us with market access, access to customers. Our platform was emerging and evolving every day. We were starting to introduce IoT elements and all kinds of tech plugins. We were playing in space that we didn't really technically understand that well, nor commercially understand that well. I would love to say that we had a whole range of suitors that were going to give us money at the time, but as it turns out, there weren't. It wasn't a massively oversubscribed round. We were battling for every penny. We were lucky to get Spark on board and really grateful to them that they saw value in what we were doing because they bought some of that strategic benefit as well that we did want. But the honest answer is I probably would have taken money from anywhere by the end of 300 conversations or whatever it was. <laughs> oh, that's a good point because it's important just for people out there listening to know that raising investment is hard. I think the round was 4.6 million in the end. Yeah, just under five in the end, yeah. So how did you determine that was the right amount of money to go out and raise? We had some very crude method around what it cost us to acquire a customer on the platform and how much we'd make from them, the lifetime value type calculations. They were largely unproven. We had a small scale operation at the time, but we said we need to go from A to B. We knew where we wanted to get to in terms of run rate revenue. We knew where we wanted to get to in terms of geographic locations. And therefore, we knew the minimum amount to hit that revenue point, And we said, we're going to need two years to do that. So it was kind of buying that two-year runway. And that's how we valued it. We put a range of five to seven and a half million. And at five million, it was just slowing down our attention on growing the business mm -hmm. too much. So we called stop on capital raising and just focused on growing the business. And it was the right decision. We've actually been able to extend that because of growth beyond the two-year runway that we originally envisaged. But yeah, buying time for us to focus on growing the business was really how we sized it. And how about you, Rachel? Yabo, I think, did a seed raise in June? Yeah, we raised it about 1.3 in the end. We were trying to raise in the middle of COVID, so number one tip to anyone, don't do it. It's a crazy time to try and get people focused. They're busy topping up their existing investments and focusing on the businesses they're already in, making sure they've got enough runway. So that definitely slowed us down. We took a small amount because we needed to finalise a couple of things around our product market fit and to build out our technology to enable us to get the starter marketplace up and running. We didn't want to take a huge round. We didn't need a lot of capital to do that. We didn't want to overextend. For us, it was all about doing the right amount of raising. We probably could have taken a little bit more, up to 2 million, but 1.3 is going to get us where we need to go. So that's okay. And how was the thinking from a founder perspective around giving up control? In the end, you've got to put a valuation on this business, which will determine how much of your stake you're going to give up to new investors coming in. How was the decision-making and the thought process that you went through inside your organisation when determining valuation? Oh, terrifying. Man, <laughs> there was a lot of glasses of Chardonnay between Catherine, who's the majority founder in Yabble, and I'm the minority shareholder. Look, it's hard because essentially you're putting a value on yourself. 
for the most part, you've got some key metrics. So you've got your customer acquisition, your LTVs, your sales revenue plan and your market targets. But ultimately, when people invest for the first time, it's in you and me and the founders and the team as a huge part of it. So typically women undervalue themselves. We're terrible at that. So we just talked to some people. We actually went and got some advice. We got a couple of people who do business valuation to give us some of their thoughts. But the best test is go out and throw a number in the market. Start higher Um, because you can always come down. No one will ask you to put it up and you'll find that what the market is prepared to pay. And then it's up to you. Are you happy with that number? But I do firmly believe that founders should not be giving away a significant amount of capital in the first round. I think Mm. it makes it really hard to raise later. So that would be a a top tip, you know, really fight your corner um, because you're going to need it further down the track. I found that in the early days, our good investors who have stuck with us actually helped to defend the founder shareholder. Um, and I know this is about VC, not about angel, but the experienced angels know that there's going to be rounds coming and they know. I'll never forget a conversation with one of our guys who's now on the advisory board. He's been involved in every round, including our most recent rounds. And he is constantly battling my corner for me and the other three founders. And it's amazing. That's the benefit of having a mature angel market. They can help you with those conversations and that advice. Can you just build on that, Toby, in terms of the thinking inside your business as you were putting a value on your capital raises and determining how much of a stake you're going to have to get diluted as a consequence? We came into this business knowing we were going to have multiple rounds. And I remember I did a spreadsheet before we launched, before we took our first investment that says, these are going to be our rounds, these are going to be our milestones, and this is how much shareholding we're going to hold at the end of it at exit. It's going to be wonderful and it was all planned. And then about one month and that proved to be false. And here we are, four years and this is completely wrong. But philosophically and emotionally, we were geared up for this. We knew we were going to be diluting. We didn't really know by how much or how aggressively the rounds would or wouldn't be on us. That same guy I mentioned, that advisory board member, he helped us pitch our value in the most recent round. Our first pitch and Spark's first offer were $20 million apart. <laughs> so that's quite ridiculous, right? Like it really is an art, not a science, I think, in many regards. We had all of the financial evidence in the world to support our asking price. Spark had all of the financial evidence in the world to support their offer. Thank goodness we were all pretty reasonable and saw the funny side in that. And we ended in a place that was actually really sensible in my mind. It goes to show you, you can't get it right first time every time. Maybe we overcalled it, Rachel. I don't know. If you don't ask, you don't get, right? Yeah. You really don't. Thank you. I'm really keen to dig now into the process of raising the funds. And we know it can be quite intense, but can you just give us your experience or your perspective? What did you find went well in the process? And then what did you find the biggest challenges to be? What did we find worked well? Let's start with the good stuff, hey? We found that when we put our hands up and said we're going to raise, a lot of people lean in and really offer to help you. I think that's a beautiful thing about the New Zealand ecosystem. And I was giving a startup chat to Hacker Exchange last week, these budding entrepreneurs. They're like, what's the New Zealand ecosystem like? What makes you guys special? You seem to really rock it in New Zealand because they're from all over Asia Pac. I was like, you know what? We're innately helpful. You throw it out into the universe and someone will will point you out. So NZTE helped us get some international exposure. We actually did elevator pitch in a lift. Now that's a totally different story. 60 seconds, 58 floors, Hong Kong. You've got three investors in the elevator with you and a room of people watching on video. That sort of experience and that story and that ability to get your business outside of New Zealand was invaluable. So asking for help and getting the networks to talk really helped us. The second one was getting all of the ducks in a row early. We'd been told it took a heck of a lot of time and you lost a lot of focus on growing your business when you raise. So we tried really hard to have everything done before we started. 
I'll be honest, we didn't get there. There was so much more that people asked for and so many more rabbit holes we went down. But I think it definitely made a difference. So that went well. I would have been way grayer if we hadn't done the pre-work. And then over and above that, I think just being super positive about your product and having your customers have your back as well. Because ultimately people want to trust you uh, and you can do that yourself. But they want to know that your product's working and someone's prepared to pay for it. We have some brilliant customer advocates and I cannot thank them enough along the way who have talked about the strength of our product, what it makes a difference in their business and, and why they continue to buy it. So those are probably the three things that I think have been really great start points. What about the challenges? Oh, the challenges. I think understanding when to say no is something I learned through this process because you can keep following people up and they're, I'll get back to you or yep, 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 no. That's A, quite demoralizing and B, really time consuming. So I think getting a no rather than a maybe, definitely something I'd recommend. The challenges of understanding a complex product, we learned we were making it way too hard to understand. Now I even use Parkable in some of my pictures. I talk about gigging your consumer data, like you gig your room with Airbnb, you gig your driveway with Parkable, you know, come gig your data with Yabble. So I'm trying to make it way more simple than it used to be. Love uh, it. Thank so you. <laughs> you're welcome, man. Yeah. Free, free advertising every time I'm pitching. But the simplicity, that's something we got really wrong and we've worked really hard to kind of correct as we go through. Fantastic. And what about your experiences, Toby? Oh man, ditto, ditto, ditto. On the positive side, couldn't agree more strongly with Rachel that what worked really well was being prepared and we now live in a state of preparedness. So we maintain a data room. We have a rhythm where we update that quarterly with any material things on the way. So we're just constantly ready for investor due diligence now. And it's actually really easy once you're there. There's three or four of us that all live in the data room and maintain it once a quarter and it's great. But being prepared, absolutely critical. Getting to a no quickly, absolutely critical. The big piece of the learning is when we started, we were out there and we had no traction, we had no customers, we had really nothing but ourselves to sell and, and our passion and our tenacity and we really leaned on that hard. I think we just wore some investors down. That's why they gave us money in the early days. It just wouldn't go away. Now I've learned that as you start to grow and get more traction, particularly as you approach a VC market, it may come across as arrogant and I really don't want it to, but you're sort of almost schooled that investors' time is precious. That's why elevator pitch. You've got to get, it, get your message across in 30 seconds. Well, bullshit. Investors got all the time in the world. We're the scarce commodity. They should be hunting us down and you should be absolutely firm enough on the way through to say, here's my three questions for you. Are we in your mandate? Will we pass first hurdle? And do you have the decision-making authority to make this call by yourself or should I talk to your boss? Cut through all the rubbish. It's okay to say no, Mr. and Mrs. Investor. Just like it's okay for me to say no. Just having that strength doesn't mean that I'll ever say no. Of course, I'll accept your investment, please. But that speeds up the process. It puts time pressure on them and hopefully shortcuts. You've got to have 300 conversations. If you can make each conversation five minutes, not 50 minutes, well, you've saved yourself 200 odd hours, right? The lesson that I've never learned and I need an awful lot of help with is being organized for those pitches. My weakness is I love this kind of thing. I love chatting with people and I love sharing our experience and, and sharing our passion for the business and where it's going. I need help with my diary and help with getting my ducks in a row. So I rope in help to do that now. And I didn't learn that lesson early in the piece. So, you know, efficiency was low and you want to drive high efficiency, fast conversion to a yes or a no for your investors, just like you do your sales prospects. There's lots of investors out there and sometimes it's just a case of lining them up and knocking them over, right? Did you both seek external advice during your process? Because I know you've got a background in VC and funds management, Toby. And so how much did you lean on your own background to sort of help you through it? My background was a bit of a detriment. For reference, these days it would be called running a family office for a group of families. And we used to invest in businesses and I used to look after the family money. And, and I thought, 
I'm perfectly qualified. I've co-invested with the entire New Zealand ecosystem before they know me. I'm high trust. I'll cut straight through it. I have three or four conversations done, drop the mic, you know, I'm out. Man, how deluded was I? It was harder because I didn't expect the hard work. And suddenly I found myself having to break, not just a sweat, but work really, really hard to raise the money. And rightly so. My idea wasn't well thought through. We weren't proven. There was risks inherent that I was blind to. So my background didn't necessarily help other than giving me perhaps some confidence around things like valuation and capital structure and documentation and process and stuff that I do take for granted a bit. But I still ask for advice and I lean on it heavily. We put in place an advisory board who are still in place and we lean on our advisory board really, really heavily to help us with all our blind spots and the process of capital raising. Professional advice is not something we've done too much of yet in terms of the capital raising process, but I see that coming. You know, our next round will be a much bigger one. That's when we're starting to deal with more private equity into town and private equity into town like to see some competency more than sitting at the table, I think. Fantastic. And you, Rachel, did you seek external advice? Couldn't afford to, Dylan. It's Mm. expensive to go and get really good advice. So no, the New Zealand ecosystem is full of people who have been there, done that, and often who have had exits. And I find that they offer some of the best insight to how to raise money here internationally, how to set yourself up for a good exit, what to say, what not to say. There's a couple of foot in the mouth moments. I wear stiletto heels quite often, so that's painful. So I had a couple of clangers, but you get there, right? So no, we talked much like Toby, an advisory board or advisors, trusted advisors you can go to. And we've had a couple who have been brilliant to us along the way. They still work with us and we're immensely thankful for their guidance. So ask, no question is a dumb question because you don't know. And if you don't know, you've got to be brave enough to stick your hand up and say, I don't know. What's your experience? And the universe gives it back. That's great advice. And to build on that, I'm after some reflections now. If you were starting the process again today, one piece of advice that you wish you'd known? It'll take longer and be a little harder than you thought. So be efficient, be organized and keep going. I walked into it thinking it would be a little easier than it was. Stick with it. I'd echo everything Toby just said, but to add, be resilient. It's going to hurt. You're going to get told no. You're going to have those down days, but haul your ass back up and just get back out there. You've got a good idea. You've got a good product put the lippy on in my case and just go back out there and say, come on, you want to be on this bus, let's go. Great advice. We've heard your elevator pitch, but what do you think your investors were most focused on when they were considering investing into Yabble and Parkable? For Yabble, because we had customers and we've been trading for two or three years and they're recognisable household names, both here and in Australia, they wanted to know why they'd stuck with us so long, how many of them had churned and what our acquisition time was, because they could see metrics in our business and they wanted to know what those were. So being really strong on those and showing that we had a really investable business is what got them over the line the fastest. There were lots of other things, but probably that one was the thing that was the most important. And doing those customer interviews, your investors, potential investors want to talk to your customers. So having those champions who are prepared to, to have those conversations for you. Yeah, totally agree. Our biggest investors talk to our customers and I find that gold, couldn't agree more. And it provides the evidence, you know, it's not just me standing there telling them how wonderful what we're doing is, it's our customers speaking for us. Different investors look for different things and Spark, we're an investor in us. They've got a very different motivation set than a pure financial investor. But the uniform thing that every investor wants is growth and tenacity and resilience. Yeah, they want to see growth. It forgives so many sins if your top line's growing and they want to see you sticking with it and not flaking out. A lot of our investors invest a small amount first up, Spark included, and then a more significant amount in their own scale 
second and third time around. So they want to see that you've got the resilience, that you've got stickability and growth, 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 consistent growth. If you can do that and over-delivering on that, man, you forgives a lot of sins. We went through a period of flat growth and man, did we come under pressure from investors. Some of the investors we talked to in series one talked about an investor investee partnership like a marriage. Oh, How's polygamous. <laughs> How's your cap table, Toby? <laughs> Yes, it's like a marriage, but just with multi-partners. So you've got to start to think about how you build your rhythms and your comm style to keep in touch with all of them all at once because it gets pretty burdensome if you try and do it too much one-on-one. We actively manage the relationships with our investors. The way our cap table is structured, we've got the early investors are all sitting in one nominee company to hold shares in, in Parkable. And then we've got five or six on the main board, if you will, the, the main cap table. We run quarterly newsletters that are very detailed for our investors. I run a once a year in-person session, which includes generally booze and food, try and keep people happy and on side. And I try and check in with certainly my more meaningful investors, not the main board, this is in the little group, try and check in once a quarter with them just on a relationship basis. The big cap table is once a quarter in person, very active management, very active maintenance. It's proactive in terms of reaching out with good news and bad about what's going on. Yeah, 100% agree with Toby. And he's had investors for much longer than us. So um, I'm just writing notes on a couple of those things I want to borrow, mate. (laughs) And can I come to your food and wine one? No, for us, it's the same thing. It's all about communication and it's about proactive communication. Someone uh, gave me some advice and said, if you're proactively communicating all the time with your investors, when you go back to raise the second time round, the conversation is much faster, it's much smoother and it makes everything a little bit more seamless. So yeah, we're really trying to embody that as well. Great advice. So what's next for Parkable? What's next for Yabble? Any additional capital raises on the horizon? Impact of COVID? Are you trying to navigate your way, not only through your investment capital rounds, but also running your business? Talk to us about the next 12 months. There's a lot of big questions in there, Dylan. I'll give it a crack. <laughs> so one, don't raise more capital during COVID. So I need some capital again, sort of early 2022. So bring on that vaccine. For us, COVID's changed a lot of things. I guess what's been good in the market research and sort of data and insights sector is it's changed consumer behaviour a lot. And that means that brands doing business as usual doesn't make sense. You can't trust your gut anymore. You actually need to go out and funnily enough, talk to your customers. So for us, we've seen a real demand for more customer conversations, more interrogation of customer data, understanding the markets better, which is great for growth. On the other side, we've seen people more ad hoc in the way they approach things, less continuous, less open to big subscription models or long-term deals. So we're seeing the deal cycle kind of become shorter, more ad hoc. So we're adjusting our pricing tiers and our access points into our product to reflect where that's moving. And we're also looking into the US market for us in 2021. And that's all about understanding how consumer data can be traded under different legislations. So GDPR, we've all heard of it. The New Zealand Privacy Act just got updated in early December. But CPPA, which is the Californian Protection Privacy Act, for anyone who loves acronyms, is even more strong than GDPR. So if you trade a piece of data, you have to tell your customer who bought it and for how much. So legislation is kind of backstopping what I think should be good behaviour in our sector anyway. So we're trying to champion good behaviour and legislation is there as a backstop and it's only going to grow. We're really focused on transparency trust, getting ourselves into the US market, uh, establishing some goals there and then looking to raise again those proof points in our pocket. And how about you, Toby? 
Thanks, Rachel, for the CPPR. I didn't know about that. We're grow, grow, grow. Yes, we're going to be capital raising again. At this stage, it's looking like middle of next year. The lesson being start earlier because it'll take longer and be harder. I think we mentioned that. But yes, we'll be starting middle of next year on a cap raise. The structure and nature of that is still in design, so we'll figure that out. But excited about what's ahead. We're going to try and bed down the territories where we currently operate a little more, get more consistent metrics in each of the territories, scale our teams a little bit in each of the territories. And just starting a valid piece with the US. For us, that's a big old animal as well, and we want to be a bit careful about our approach over there. That's kind of our next 12 or so months, I think. Be well taken care of. Wow, that's pretty inspiring. You've both got an oppressive agenda for the year ahead. Thank you both so much for sharing your investment and your company journey with us on The Investment Fix. What I've heard here today is that securing investment is hard work, but being prepared in terms of your financial and pitch docs will go a long way. And I really like your point about keeping the lines of communication open with existing investors and finding smart ways to manage that process. Definitely makes a difference when you're looking to go back for more funding in the future. Both of you have discovered things often take longer than you expect and you should aim to give yourself more runway than you think. But if you find the right backers who share your vision, you'll be in a great position to grow. Rachel, Toby, Kelda, thank you both so much for sharing your investment journey with us. Thank you for having us. It's been Absolute fun. Absolute pleasure. Dylan, Toby, thank you. Some awesome yeah. advice and this is a great initiative. So thank you so much for having us. That was your investment fix from NZTE. For a bigger financial fix, head to investnewzealand.nz.